fucking milligram of sweetener. I want to get high off this paper, not sprinkle it on my fucking oatmeal. Can you keep it down? I'm trying to do drugs. But then all of a sudden, like a giant fucking spider shows up. Put out a little bit of a disclaimer. It's gonna be weird. Uh, Matt, say a word. Hello. Yeah, there you go. So we had some technical difficulties when trying to record uh, this episode earlier, and so barring some delays, we are now recording. And Matt's audio is a little bit uh, wacky because he's on a laptop. So just for reference for this episode, Matt's gonna sound a little weird. Sorry. So. What what did we watch this week? We watched Akira, right? I watched a couple of videotapes. We watched American Psycho this week. A, a movie with a lot of people in suits and a lot of murdering. What did you guys think about American Psycho? You already know my answer. Well, does the audience know your answer? I was going to get to it. <laughs> <laughs> we were going to get there. We'll, we'll get to our opinions at the end of the episode. Yeah, like, just listen to us ramble the fuck on about this movie, but you're not going to know what we think. Until we decide to tell you. Until we tell you at the end. By the way, who are we? I don't know. I'm Stips. I'm Patrick Bateman. Am I a person? I'm Paul Allen. Am I, is my name Eric? Oh no, Sam's gonna die. I can't believe you're Jared Leto all this time, Sam. What the fuck? Oh my god. <laughs> Why didn't you include me in the cult? What do you mean? I sent, I sent you that dead rat in the mail. That's what that meant. Understood. Can't believe Jared Leto just had a Charles Manson sex cult and he got away with it. I like how you say had in past tense. I like to believe it's a had, Sam. <laughs> if I'm honest. All right, who wants to start with their notes first? I know we all took notes this time. I didn't. I keep the tradition. Er- Eric's tradition of not taking notes. It's gotta be off the cuff. If I can't think of it during the episode, I don't have anything to say about it. I have four notes, and two of them are like kind of nothing. Here, this okay. The second note I took was Donald Trump, and I'll be honest, it's kind of a nothing note. It's literally just like he was a rich dude in whenever this movie came out. So of course they're gonna talk about fucking Donald Trump. Yeah, um, Patrick Bateman specifically is always talking about Donald Trump. He brings up Donald he, like in a car. He's like, "Is that Donald Trump's car? Is that Ivania Trump?" Later on, when he's at a restaurant with Paul, and he's like, "No, Patrick." Of course that's not Ivania Trump. I mean, Michael. That was such a weird thing. That he did, like, that was before, was that before or after Paul Allen got so ridiculously drunk that he stopped perceiving everything that Patrick says? It was before. Yeah, because, like, at that point in the movie, Patrick was, like, pretending to be, like, another co-worker, which was, like, the whole yeah. reason Paul Allen was even hanging out with him. The reason he did the uh, Ivania Trump uh, was uh, to make it seem like that place was more important than it actually was. Yeah. yeah but then he calls himself out by his own first name, and then he's like, I mean Michael. But Paul Allen doesn't even, like, bat an eye at it. But I guess Paul Allen also did not bat an eye at, I like to dissect women. I'm criminally insane. Okay, that, that leads into two things that I was wanting to talk about. The first thing being, like, nobody seems to ever remember who Patrick Bateman actually is. Like, a a number of times in the movie, people will just, like, walk up and be like, oh, hey, fucking Ronnie, (laughs) or some shit. Or, like, at the end of the movie, his own lawyer thinks he's talking to somebody that's not his client. And the other thing, 
several times in this movie, Patrick Bateman just openly talks about how much he just loves killing people. Yeah. He's not the only one to do several so. Several times, uh, it's called out that Patrick's a loser. That's why I'm not talking to him right now. Okay, one thing that's interesting is that, like, there's five or... S- there's so many different times where Patrick Bateman just up front is like, I like to kill people recreationally. And friggin' no one bats an eye at it. And then there's one scene where it's like, oh, what are you into? And he goes, oh, murder and executions. And then the woman responds and notes what he said or as she heard it as mergers and acquisitions instead of murders and executions. Oh, okay. If we're going to talk about all this part, we have to just talk about the thing of the movie. Because otherwise this just makes it sound like we don't understand. I I got this. We are, of course, when we're talking about the movie, we're talking about the scene with Willem Dafoe as the detective asking about the disappearance of a nearby co-worker and friend who could have only been killed by one of his friends randomly. Meanwhile, Patrick Bateman is assaulting a a steak, like, horrifically, (laughs) giving away his murderous nature. That's actually something I want to bring up real quick before we get off Willem Dafoe. Um, There's something incredibly interesting about this movie, how it was shot and how it was edited, especially with Willem Dafoe's scenes. So... Briefly, uh, if anyone doesn't know the plot of American Psycho, Christian Bale plays Patrick Bateman, who's a murderer, but he's also a businessman, and he gets investigated uh, briefly by Willem Dafoe, who plays a detective named Kimball. And there are three different scenes with Willem Dafoe as Detective Kimball. Now, the interesting thing about these scenes is that they were shot three different ways, so to speak. One in which Kimball was understood to know everything. He knows that Patrick Bateman murdered Paul Allen, and he's trying to grill Patrick Bateman to get him to come out with everything. Number two is he knows... He's catching on. He's got a lead, but he's not quite there yet. He's a little bit far away. And number three is he has no idea. So... Every scene with Willem Dafoe, all of Willem's shots, it was one of those three things. Either he knew everything, he knew a little bit, or he knew nothing. And then they were edited together just randomly. So in a scene, it could go from Willem Dafoe being hard on him and grilling him and being, like, cross-examining and shit to he knows nothing. It it helps with, like, the unreliable narrator aspect of it and just the fact that we're seeing this movie entirely from Patrick Bateman's very, very skewed perspective to the extent that you can't really know that the movie actually happened the way we see it. It, it helps extend out his uh, paranoia as well. See, that's, that's what I was going to bring up earlier, is, like, we can't talk about all the doublespeak or just all these, like, weird instances of just no one acknowledging stuff without bringing up the fact that the entire story is based around the fact that Patrick Bateman is fucking insane and he's a super unreliable narrator. Yeah, like, a big thing going on in this movie, which is kind of hinted at throughout, but doesn't, in my opinion, become incredibly clear until the climax, is that, like, we don't really know for sure 
if anything that we're watching this movie actually went down. Like, like j- just to jump right to the ending, a big thing that clues clues it in is a, a couple a couple of key sequences towards the end of the movie. First, <laughs> <laughs> the scene in which Patrick Bateman is going to withdraw money from an ATM and he finds a stray kitten. And the ATM machine thus tells him to feed me a stray cat. Then he ices an old lady who sees him. <laughs> he literally just pulls out a fucking, like, Glock or something and just shoots her in the chest. And then the police show up. I, I really want to talk about the police. And he shoots the police car, and the police car explodes. He explodes both of the two cruisers that stop. With a pistol. I think my favorite part about that scene is that, well, it's... The absurdity of it isn't even lost on Patrick in this moment. Like, he sees the police cars explode into this fireball, and he's kind of confused. He looks at his gun, he looks at the fireball, he looks at his gun. Like, he's just like, huh? To me, that's the moment where the, the whole curtain is peeled back, and it's like, yeah, Patrick Bateman's just having a fucking field day in his brain for this whole movie. I I think the real peak of that scene is uh, when he walks into the building and... It's asked, burning the midnight oil, Mr. Smith, don't forget to sign it. And then they blast him. He literally digs around in his pocket. He's looking for a pen. Oh, no, it's a gun. I just shot the receptionist. And then he meets a second receptionist a few minutes later, and he's reaching for a gun. And then he pulls out a pen and signs in. Then he hurriedly rocks by a janitor, right? Goes through the revolving door. No, comes back and shoots the janitor. Important to note that this movie is actually funny as fuck. It, it is noted to be a, what is it, a dark comedy slasher? Yeah. It's a black comedy. It's got a lot of moments, like a, a specific famous scene involving business cards. Oh my god, the business card scene. It's uh, got a subtle off-white coloring. Oh my god. Eggshell with the It even has a watermark. <laughs> it's nice. Which... Is the ultimate, like, it, it establishes the tone of the movie and it establishes Patrick as a character all at once. Paul Allen, the new guy in town, the cock of the walk, whips out his business card. And it's just slightly better than Patrick's. Therefore, Patrick makes it his mission to fucking murder this man. It, it's, it's the murder of Paul Allen, which is, like, the big driving force of, like, the plot of the movie. Like, he kills Paul Allen, Detective Kimball comes in to investigate the disappearance of Paul Allen. Patrick Bateman uses Paul Allen's apartment to murder more people throughout the movie. But this is the other thing in the ending I wanted to talk about in regards to the unreliable narrator. After confessing to his lawyer all of the crimes that he's committed... And seeing him the next day, the lawyer not only doesn't believe that Patrick Bateman is capable of doing any of it because he's a loser, he just had dinner with Paul Allen in London a few days ago. And along those lines, he didn't realize that Patrick's Patrick. He he literally uh, plays it off as this practical joke of like a, a colleague, a friend. See, uh, I, I don't know if you all had written down notes for this, but I had made a note of this early on in the beginning monologue of the movie where he's going through his daycare and like skincare routine. He explains as to why he takes all this care and pride and like trying to appear healthy and young and beautiful and everything. And the reason he knows is, and I quote, because I want to fit in as he is literally in the frame, peeling his own face off. Of like peeling off all the different product and everything. 
<sighs> and I think that really set up just kind of everything. It, like it explains everything so much. Such a later good on. scene. And yeah. like, like, is he not discussing his mask of sanity as he calls it in that yes. scene as well? Yes. All while literally peeling off the mask. Mm-hmm. There, that like, that's one of those scenes that has the such iconography that long after the film has released, it's like I was at Best Buy earlier today and I saw American Psycho on the DVD rack or the Blu-ray rack. Sorry, I'm from two thousand and seven apparently. And literally the cover on the Blu-ray was just Patrick Bateman staring straight ahead, peeling his face. It Obviously, because he was staring straight ahead, it was a different shot. And it was, like, different than how it was. Like, it wasn't him peeling off the, like, product. It was him peeling off a separate face with the freaking Kubrick stare. But, like, that that's where that scene is. <laughs> It's wild to me that that's one of those things. It's like the the ending of Planet of the Apes, where it's like, it's a big stinger scene, and then it keeps going, and it's like, okay, this is the thing that people remember from the movie. It's on the Blu-ray now, 20 years later. Yeah. When did American Psycho come out? 2000. 2000? Two, the year 2000, right on the money, yes. Okay, well, I guess it has been 20 years since that movie came out, huh? I'm reminded of a couple other things that are towards the beginning of the movie. Just a couple shots that really in particular jumped out to me. First, when he's going out to like the restaurant with his fiance, I believe, and he looks at the menu and it's like this like steel fucking yuppie bullshit menu. And it's like he's looking at his reflection, but it's incredibly like blurry because it's not a good reflective material. And another shot Whenever he's just, like, riding in a limousine, like, the partition window is partially closed. But, like, like you could see, like, his, like, his, like, girlfriend in, like, full, his full view. Like, like she's clear, but, like, he's incredibly blurry in the window. And, like, those shots just really jump out to me. Just to, like, give, give you an idea of, like, where this guy's, like, fitting in with everything else and, like, how he views himself. I, I want to take it back just half a step to what we were talking about before. There are a lot of moments in this movie where it's very unclear if it's real or not, or if it's different than how it's being presented, whether it's like saying something and someone hearing something else, whether it's entirely fabricated or just overly dramatized, right? There's one scene I am absolutely sure is actually real and happened, and it's one we don't see the consequences for. And that's um, his secretary stumbling into his office and finding his notebook with all the drawings. Oh, like, yeah. I'm that... absolutely sure that was real. That feels 100% certain. Like, that is perhaps one of the very few very real scenes that are in this movie. And to me, mm-hmm. it says that this whole thing really is just his, like, deranged fantasies. Like, and it, like, say he kills, like, Paul Allen or, like, he takes a prostitute home and he, like, tortures her. Like, he's just scribbling it in his notebook and he's just really thinking about doing that and loving it. One thing that I love about this movie is how specific almost it feels, yet how, like, not specific, deliberate everything feels, yet how open it is for interpretation. 
Like, everything yeah. is laid out ever so carefully that everyone that watches this movie is going to have a different understanding of what actually happened within the movie. I I've seen this movie twice. I watched it first with, like, another group of friends, and then I watched it, of course, for this episode. And the first time I watched it, I was taking everything at face value. Like, everything in this movie happens for sure until they, like, straight up show some cartoon shit that didn't happen like an <laughs> ATM saying feed me a stray cat like there's no world in which that is real but say hypothetically that every that like everything actually did happen like I even accepted yeah he murders that old woman yeah he kills those cops yeah he kills the security guard and the janitor and then walks into an identical building and doesn't kill the people there and then confesses everything and then there's no repercussions for it and watching it again I had more of a, like, oh, obviously some of this shit is fantasy, but I still, like, have it set in my mind of, like, with the lawyer scene taken into account, there's a lot of stuff, like, a lot of things that just really does feel like this happened, but it's being covered up, and that's part of everything. Like, I still believe the murder of Paul Allen actually did happen. I fully believe Patrick Bateman took an axe to his head, and that he's melting in a bathtub in Hell's Kitchen. But his lawyer just went with the story that Patrick laid down to the detective and was like, yeah, I dined with Paul Allen in London last week. Because, like, here's the thing. Why would Paul Allen be in London? I think there's one important thing to note if we're going the route of Patrick Bateman does all this stuff for real and it's being covered up. Early on in the movie, Patrick's secretary just makes an offhanded comment about how his father practically owns the company. That is something that I do frequently forget about. Yep. And it does come down to, yeah, it could probably be a lot of this is being covered up because Patrick Bateman is just too big of a figure to fall. And that's honestly been my prevailing thought about this movie like, since I first watched it, is that that's the point. Patrick Bateman could be anyone, but because of his position, he's too big to fall, so he simply won't, even if he's a psychopathic murderer. That's one of the, the very popular interpretations, and one that I kind of... I, I kind of stick with it, honestly, because um the origin of, like, American Psycho as a story is just it kind of being a satire of businessmen in general. And, like, the kind of people that hold those kinds of positions. Like, the 1980s, specifically. Like, the hyper-capitalist nightmare that was the 1980s. Ugh. So, like, I, I could totally get behind the idea that it's kind of intentionally uh, proposed that it's a setup. Because uh, they wouldn't want one of these massive people who make so much money and who is the son of a very important person being a psycho murderer. See, uh, personally, I think he's just fabricating everything. Like, I think Paul, Paul goes to France, and he has to come up with the reason why he's gone, and that reason being, I murdered him. And the delusions just get worse from there. But the main thing I wanted to kind of transition to is there are a lot of movies like Inception, or like Matrix, or even like Shutter Island, right? Where there's like a kind of double narrative of what's on the surface versus what was actually real and they will typically show you that 
whether it's with a secondary perspective that can be trusted, some sort of um, MacGuffin that can navigate what is real, what is fantasy, or just going back over it, like Life of Pi style, like, no, that's not what happened. It was actually this, this, and that, and this was that, right? I enjoy that in this movie, it doesn't have that. It doesn't, it leaves it all up to interpretation and to kind of discern a message from it however you want, right? And it's so good because they have that MacGuffin there, but they don't use it like that. Because you see him take his medicine, but that is not an indicator for if anything is real or not. We don't know what the medication is for. He, it only pops up like twice in the movie just to show that he's on medication of some sort or is perhaps off of it, you know? But it doesn't make it any clearer. It doesn't even show a name of the medication. It just says Patrick Bateman. Like It just says uh, use as directed from a therapist or something. You literally don't know what it is. He mentions like his uh, fiance takes lithium, but like mm -hmm. we don't know what he takes. I really enjoyed that like commitment to this is going to be open-ended. This is going to be confusing. Make your own thing with it. Maybe only the author knows, right? But I'm not going to make it any clearer. It's uh, worth noting that the author of the book that this movie was based on is on the record for he himself not really knowing. So make of that what you will. Speaking of the book, whenever I first watched this movie, the group of friends I watched it with, one person brought up uh, the nature of the book and how the movie deviates from it by letting uh, by letting things be more visual and not having Patrick literally walk you through everything. Yes, it's all still from Patrick Bateman's perspective and all that, but from his recounts, apparently the book is very obsessive in all of its details and can kind of get slogged down in Patrick Bateman describing everything obsessively for the duration of a scene, which tends to not work as well when your only exposure to a scene is what's being told to you directly. Whereas in a film, it's like, the say for instance... The Paul Allen scene, or... Everyone showing off their business cards. No, not what I was thinking, but also he's describing the music. Yes, that that's what I was thinking of. Anytime he's describing music, where he just goes into this, like, incredible monologue of detail about whatever song he is currently playing, and the musical artist, and all this stuff. We can... It, there's a lot more that can be done interesting visually than... It's a difference in medium. Yes. Like, in the book, everything... Like, it's the, he's not really monologuing about the music. Like, this is just the book's narration. Like, it's, yes. it's just the way books are written. Like, from a first-person perspective, this is just the book telling you about Huey Lewis and the news, hip to be square. But in the movie, you get the wonderful sequence in which Patrick Bateman is just talking his ass off to Paul Allen about Huey Lewis and the news, all while prepping, taking his medication, getting a raincoat on to keep his suit clean, and grabbing the axe to knock Paul Allen's head off. He still didn't, like, reveal his chow, though. I'm kind of confused by that. Like, he laid the newspaper <laughs> and everything. Like, God... <laughs> why wouldn't you show your dog come on that's all i'm saying i i do love that scene for friggin paul allen delirious in the chair just slowly picking up on pieces of the environment but never connecting the dots it's 
truly one of my favorite scenes in any movie <laughs> is just him it, Patrick Bateman obsessively talking about Huey Lewis in the news so excitedly and then he just ends. Hey, Paul! Ah! Try getting a reservation! The Dorsey's now, you stupid bastard! No, it's not a stupid bastard. Son of a bitch. He definitely yeah. says stupid bastard. Yeah. On the subject of the murder of Paul Allen and themes that we've discussed earlier, like the themes of the movie itself, like 80s sucked. That, that, that's my key takeaway from it, from it all. The 80s sucked. Um, so Paul Allen is... Only the first victim, or maybe the second, because at, immediately after the business card pissing contest, we see Patrick Bateman getting off work, and like, like he basically just insults and degrades a homeless person before murdering him and his dog. And then he kills Paul Allen, and several times throughout the movie, he just like picks up sex workers to like have sex with them and then kill them horrifically. All throughout the movie... The only victim that ever gets brought up by anybody else at any point in time is Paul Allen. I don't think that's, like, thematically insignificant. I never really thought about that. That is very interesting. Remember the person who he didn't kill? We'll we'll get to that. We'll get to that. (laughs) We'll get there. We will get there. Like, trust me, I've got a pin in it. But... I do think that one of the one of the core things driving the themes of the movie is like the only person he kills that anybody gives a damn about is some fucking yuppie. So I I know we're a tiny bit past this, but I I got caught up on misremembering a, a quote. Right, I I love uh talking about Huey Lewis in the news. That this entire time he has the CD, he starts gushing about it. He goes into this extensive monologue and why Hip to Be Square is a great hit and all that. And, uh, Huey Lewis in the news, that album's their absolute masterpiece. But as soon as Detective Kimball brings it up, he pulls out a copy, he shows it to Bateman instantly. Bateman's like, oh, I don't like Huey Lewis. And in instantly, also showing his true, you know, businessman ways, says he's a bit too black sounding. <laughs> this This ties into a passage from the book that I wanted to bring up which was supposedly filmed for the movie, but was left out of the movie. Quote, I stick out my hand at a crooked angle, trying to mimic a rapper. Hey, I say, I'm fresh. The freshest, you know, like, uh, deaf. The deafest. I take a sip of champagne. You know, deaf. To prove this, I spot a black guy with dreadlocks, and I walk up to him and exclaim, Rasta man! And hold out my hand, anticipating a high five. Sounds about right. Oh! Well, did he? (laughs) They might have left that out of the movie for a good reason. As clear a picture it paints of Patrick Bateman as a casual, terrible racist, it might not have been in good taste to film that and put it in a movie in the year 2000. Yeah, it's a little, uh, it's a little far. I want to, I'm going to put a pin in a little far for right now. But one thing I want to, uh, go to is, um, uh, back to the quote. I want to make a correction to earlier. We were all wrong. He doesn't, uh, call Paul Allen a stupid bastard or a son of a bitch. He very specifically says, a fucking stupid bastard. Ah. So. Yeah, I was about to say I rewatched it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I also pulled it up to take a look. Um 
back to putting a pin it maybe going too far i i don't know why i thought of this i was thinking earlier today i was like washing dishes and i was like is american psycho misogynist it's absolutely patrick bateman the character is absolutely misogynist the book yeah it's debatable on if it's misogynist but my my conclusion is yeah probably but it's not the media itself that's misogynist; it's the character. I, I I would say there's an argument for the way that the book goes a bit. Like the book gets into details regarding what Patrick Bateman does. So regardless of the author's intentions, I would say it's a bit misogynist to just revel in violence against women the way the book does. But I wouldn't say that because it's just the entire point of Patrick reveling in the the violence. Like I can understand your concern, but like overall, it the. The point of getting to that hyper detail is that Patrick enjoys that, and the entire book is a characterization of uh, Patrick. I would say it gets into the bit debate between like artistic intent and like execution, but like one thing I would like to bring up in the debate is when the movie came out, it came under heavy fire for its violence against women, but I think it's important to note that the movie was written by and directed by a woman. And when it came time to film the scenes and write the scenes in which Patrick kills, like, the sex workers, they take care to specifically film those scenes from the perspective of the women and not the perspective of Patrick. Like, in in scenes where he, like, like when he kills the homeless man or he kills Paul Allen, in that moment, it's like Patrick Bateman is reveling in this. This is the best thing he's done all week. But when it comes to the women... It's framed in the way of this being, like, the most horrific fucking thing ever. Because it is. The murder of Paul Allen and the murder of the homeless men are played a bit more comedically. Paul Allen especially is just a full comedic scene. The scenes with (laughs) violence against women, it's straight horror. Like, the tonal shift is notable. It's definitely leaning more on the slasher part of this movie's genre. Than it is the black comedy part. Oh, speaking of the homeless guy, I absolutely love Patrick Bateman knelt down in an alley, just like, why don't you get a job? It's it just makes me think of J.C. Denton. Why don't you get a job? I got some soy food. <laughs> I mean, go out and get a job. It's just classic Reaganism. Which, oh my God. I mean, I, I I think we we could go ahead and just talk about the way the movie ends with Ronald Reagan lying about the Iran-Contra deal on TV, which is such an obvious parallel to make with Patrick, but, like, it works so well. The best part I love is that Bryce is sitting there, Bryce being a co-worker, just constantly being like, I can't believe he gets away with this. How do, how must it feel being that much of a shit-eating liar, huh? <laughs> like, Justin Thoreau, like, great actor. I, I love how, what little he does in this movie. Because what little he does is just... Mwah. Especially that scene at the end. I was going to say, Bryce doesn't actually do much in this movie. Like Like, Bryce does some cocaine with him. He shows off his business card. They go to like a restaurant and like a club, and it's always like generic hanging out while Patrick's like kind of in his incognito "I'm normal" form, where he's talking about, "Oh, we need to help the hungry and the poor," and the you know, like he's doing this whole kind of like shtick, like his empty platitudes. Yeah, 
and like Bryce is there and just kind of like, uh, can you believe this guy? Whatever, you know, but Bryce isn't actually that important of a character. No, but it's weird because we get this sort of like ensemble earlier where Patrick's like, Bryce is interesting. Bryce, I like Bryce. He's the only person here that I like, you know, but he's not actually that focused on or that important, really. Like, all we know is he's a boss. I would say out of all the tangential white businessmen, Bryce is the most important, just by virtue of him getting the most focus, like, relatively speaking. It's it's not a strong focus in, like, a single scene or two, unlike if you want to pull the pin on that other one. Ah, yes. Um, so, another actor that I like, who just plays a sort of tangential businessman in this movie, is Matt Ross who some people might know as the guy that runs Hooli in Silicon Valley, the TV show from Mike Judge. In this, he plays a businessman with, like, the most hideous haircut I've ever seen. Jesus Christ. Like, <laughs> 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 motherfucker looks like Pee Wee Herman or some shit. And in one scene, he shows off his own business card, which, is it Bryce or another businessman who is saying, like, damn, who would have thought this dumbass could have taste? It's another businessman. It's not Bryce. I know that. Bryce isn't in that. In that. This irks Bateman, like, similarly to how, like, Paul Allen's superior card irks him. So, he doesn't waste any time waiting to drug him, take him to a bar, then take him to his apartment. No, he slips on the gloves, and he's going into the bathroom to strangle this guy. This guy's into it. This guy thinks Patrick Bateman's making a pass at him. He's been waiting for this. What does Patrick Bateman, known homophobe then, do? Patrick Bateman does not commit. He washes his gloves and runs away in fear. He quite quite literally backs off. Just He is uber disturbed now. He's just like, no, no, that's not me. No, no. You can just see it in his face because he says not a single word. You just see he's distressed. He walks slowly over to the sink, starts washing his gloved hands, while the dude is also just right there. By the way, still has his dick out from the urinal. Right, And he's yes. just like, it's okay, Patrick, I want this too. I've seen your hot body. I, I, I'm I mean, glad you're doing this now. In all fairness, can you really blame him in that moment? We, we see <laughs> it. It's one of the first things we see about Patrick Bateman. We see a lot of Patrick Bateman's ass in this movie, and I cannot complain. The biggest admirer of Patrick Bateman is Patrick Bateman. <laughs> I, I Okay, I feel like it is uh, tasteful that we get about as much Patrick Bateman nudity as, like, female nudity in this movie. I want to say that. Yeah, absolutely. And I speaking of tasteful, this movie has, like... What, three different sex scenes in it? None of which are sexy. Yeah. Uh, The focus of the (laughs) first one, which has, like, the most actual skin sex, is, like, Patrick Bateman's complete egomania just taking center stage because, like, instead of actually focusing on, like, what's happening in the scene, we get Patrick Bateman setting up his camera to record it, talking about Phil Collins, fair, um, we get, uh, shots of Patrick flexing in the mirror and just really, like, feeling himself in this shit. Like, he does not 
He's more into care. himself than he is into the women. Yes. And then, like, the scene ends with, like, a little a little taste of something bad about to happen when he opens the drawer of his torture tools and he's like, I'm not finished. Or, or what does he say exactly? He, he, chooses... he, he says we're not finished, basically. Okay. But we don't see what happens, and we're never told directly what happens. But whenever he meets up with her, her with one of them again, she says that she may need to get surgery. Mm-hmm. We also, from the two women leaving the apartment in the way that they leave the apartment, it's very evident that whatever happened, it was horrifically unpleasant i want to briefly talk on another this has nothing to do with the movie it's simply something funny that happened whenever we watched it i during the lead up to the scene where patrick bateman's in his apartment with the two women and he has sex with them uh he like finds the one christy that's not a real name we never learn her real name that's just what patrick calls her the first time um and he like tells her all this shit and like who she is and what role she'll play and he calls someone else and he's like i need a woman blonde it's very important that she's blonde she has to be blonde and she's got to be okay with partners also blonde and you get to the apartment and we see the woman from over the phone for the first time and sam says that's not really blonde is it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to which I respond, that's a dirty blonde. And then in the movie, immediate seconds pass, and Patrick Bateman is, you're not really blonde, are you? And she's like, and then he goes, well, more of a dirty blonde. It's like... <laughs> it wasn't even some... For a brief moment, <laughs> our minds were just, like, in sync with the movie. <laughs> like, we just tapped in perfectly. It was wild. Do you guys want to talk about memes? No. <laughs> I can't believe Germa killed Vinny from Vinesauce. <laughs> can't believe after Germa killed Vinny from Vinesauce, a different Germa interviewed him about it. I'm so free. <laughs> oh, I was literally just about to make that. Can joke. we simply talk about the fact that <laughs> a lot of people compared Germa to friggin' Patrick Bateman in this movie and also Willem Dafoe, and Willem Dafoe is in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> a tale of two Germas. Apologies to people listening to this movie podcast who have no idea who Germa or Vine Sauce are. I don't apologize. You should watch Germa. It's like, uh, we've reached a point, it's hard to not know about Germa. Like, the Dollhouse streams had a million views. Uh, like, a million concurrent viewers. Like, I don't I think there's a human on Earth that doesn't know who Germa is at this point. You may not know him by name, but you've seen this guy. You've seen him somewhere. <laughs> yeah, you saw him swing an axe into Paul Allen's head. Speaking of swinging axe into Paul Allen's head, there's a very interesting bit in that scene, and I... It, I, it could just be me, like... It was totally the intent, right? But after he, like, finishes murdering Paul Allen, like, we get him taking off the raincoat, and he's just, like, going, shifting back into professional mode. And he walks over to his couch, and we're seeing a lot of, like, the right side of his face, which is soaked in blood. Then he sits down, and the left side of his face is facing the frame as he pulls out a cigar to smoke it on the couch as though nothing had happened. And while he's doing that, we, again, 
his left side of his face that's framed where his hair is s- slightly neater than the right side of his head. It's not that big of a difference, really. <laughs> but there is significantly less blood on that side of the face. And for a moment, it almost looks like it could just pass for a scene of some businessman pulling out a cigar to smoke it. With how nonchalant it is and how almost normal it looks. So the cinematography in this movie is really fucking good. Yeah, yeah this, this, this movie's good. Guys, I think I found my opinion on this movie. I think I like the movie. Well, I'm st- I, don't, I, I don't know, honestly. I, I... See, I don't know. I, 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 need to, I need to hear what Anthony Fantano has to say about it before I decide, honestly. Do you think Anthony Fantano would... <laughs> <laughs> We're getting too off track. I don't even have a joke for that. <laughs> American Psycho is a very good movie. It is. I, I would go as far as to say it's an incredible movie. Maybe not a movie for everybody. Like, oh no, I cannot recommend it for people that don't have like a strong constitution for this kind of stuff, like the violence that's on display. But if you can handle it, I, I feel like it's essential viewing. Violence and a horrible white businessman being horrible white businessmen. Yeah, I can definitely understand a low tolerance for white businessmen. <laughs> white American businessmen, baby. Yeah. It's, I, I, whenever we were talking about uh, the scene earlier with the gentleman in the bathroom, I, <laughs> Bryce, that's his name. Who was it, Sam, whenever you asked if Bright was, Bryce was there, I almost, I was so close to saying he wasn't, that was the anti-Semite. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't remember the guy's name, I don't know the actor who plays him, but I know that he is introduced to being anti-Semitic as shit about Paul Allen. Speaking of actors, there is some talent in this movie. And that's saying something because this movie has Jared Leto in it. And it's important to note that this is the first movie on the Spider-Cast that we've talked about that has a female director. But also, it's the first movie on the Spider-Cast that we've talked about that has Jared Leto in it. I want to make something very clear. If you couldn't tell from earlier, with us willfully joking about Jared Leto's creepy as shit Charles Manson sex cult. I don't like Jared Leto. I don't know if any of us like Jared Leto. I don't particularly care for Jared Leto, no. I, I hate him. I've never really seen him play a good role in a movie. Except for American Psycho. He fits this movie like one of those cylindrical Lego pieces. You know, the one that has like the little sockety bits. Like... <laughs> You don't think it would. Like one of those, like, bionicle tubes? Yeah, the bionicle tube. (laughs) That's how Jared Leto fits into this movie. He fits like a bionicle tube. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. You can picture it in your mind's eye, unless you can't, in which case I'm sorry. Uh, I I, I do feel sorry if you didn't grow up with Lego and bionicles to not know about the bionicle tube fitting in the Lego brick. (laughs) I also bet some people just can't picture things in their mind's eye. It's a thing. Overall, I would say that this is a very good movie, which does a wonderful job depicting the real horrors of Americana. There's only one thing worse than a psycho. An American. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. We've got a spin. We've got a spin for these, uh, this, the, a spin? I don't know what I'm saying. We have a theme. Keep it up, spider boy. (laughs) (laughs) 
We've had a we've had a theme going for this season. We talked about Shin Godzilla, objectively a horror movie, American Psycho, big thriller, and next thriller, it's a slasher. Slasher fits into the horror category. Yes. And so does a black comedy. Next week, we're actually going to be looking, we're going to be going a bit weirder with the horror thing. We talk about Cabin in the Woods and deconstruct the horror genre. Bye!